everybody. It is so good to be in church this morning. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kirsten. I'm one of the pastors here. And I've lived here in Penticton for just over three years now. And when I first moved here, and I guess this goes for any time you move somewhere new, um, I didn't know anybody. Um, I didn't have any friends. And so in the first couple months of being here, I was trying to figure out ways that I could meet some other people, you know, maybe try and pick up some hobbies uh, that would put me in community with some other people so that I could make some friends. And one Sunday morning, I was here, I was standing out at the welcome desk, and the person who was scheduled to be on the welcome desk was Andrea. So we started chatting and just talking about different things, and she mentioned to me that she went to spin class on Saturday mornings. And I was like, okay, I've been to a spin class before. It was very difficult, and I couldn't walk for a few days afterwards, but I went to one. So we talked about it a little bit more, and she ended up inviting me to the next spin class. And I was so excited. It was that same feeling of when you're a kid and you get an invitation to a birthday party and you rush home. It's the only thing that you can talk about until it happens. Well, I talked about spin class all week. And on the Saturday morning, I got up early. I made sure I had breakfast and my coffee. And I was ready, standing by the front door, 20 minutes before they said that they would be there to get me, because I was just so excited. You know, everybody loves to be invited to something. Even if you don't end up going, there's that feeling of knowing that somebody thought of you, right? Somebody thought, hey, I think this person might enjoy coming and doing this thing with me. It's a great feeling to be invited. And there's also the other side of it. If you don't get invited to something and then you see people that you know out doing something together. I've been there. I had a group of friends in high school where we would hang out all the time. Uh, but then every once in a while, I'd see that they were all hanging out without me. Uh, all their parents were friends, and so when they would do family things, they would all be together, and I would be the one left out. That's not fun, you know? Nobody likes to be left out of things and not invited. This morning, we are going to be continuing off a bit from last week, looking at the story of the woman at the well and at the idea of invitation. I'm sure if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've most likely been in a service where the message was about evangelism and the importance of inviting people to church. You know, the pastor who's speaking uh, starts ending their message and they start saying things like, Everyone has at least one person in their life that they need to invite to church. So you start thinking about the people in your life. Maybe it's a parent who isn't a Christian, a coworker, your kid's friend's parents. And they tell you to take the response time to pray for that person, you know, that one name. And then as you leave the service, they encourage you to invite that person to church the following Sunday. And I've been there, I've been in a lot of those services, and I'll, as I leave, I'm always pumped up, I'm excited, I feel inspired to invite somebody to church. And then I walk out the front doors and I go, but how? You know, 
How do I bring this up? What if they say no? What if it makes it awkward? What if they laugh at me? What if this changes our relationship and puts a strain on it? Have you ever felt that struggle when thinking of inviting somebody to church? Well, this morning we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about what invitation looks like in the Bible and then what it looks like for us today in our own lives and in our context. And my hope is that we can walk away this morning with a fresh sense of what it means to be invitational and what it can look like to invite others in. And we've got some really practical steps to help us get there. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be back in John chapter 4 this morning. And if you were here last week, Pastor Ralph gave a really great message on the uh, principle of permission. So we looked at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well and what it looked like for Jesus to get permission to speak into this woman's life. So we're picking it up again in verse 27. It says this, just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, if you remember from last week, we learned a little bit about who this woman was. Just before the disciples returned to where Jesus was with this woman, there had been this conversation between Jesus and the woman. We find out that this woman is an outcast in her village. She's getting water from a well that is outside of the village. She's alone. Normally going to the well would have been a social affair and all the women would have gone together, but this woman was alone. She was out there at the hottest part of the day, most likely because she knew that no one else would be there. In their conversation, we find out she's also an adulteress. She's had multiple husbands and the one man that she was living with at this moment, she wasn't even married to. She was a Samaritan woman, so the Jews would have not wanted anything to do with her either. And we see at the beginning of verse 27 that the disciples were shocked that Jesus was talking to her. You know, but despite all of those things, Jesus still decided to start that conversation. He offered her living water. He told her all of the things that she had ever done wrong and offered forgiveness. And he had revealed himself to be the Messiah that they had been waiting for. This woman at the well had a life-changing experience with Jesus. So right after she has this life-changing experience with Jesus, she goes running into the town. The town full of people who hate her, refuse to be associated with her. The town in which she is an outcast just to tell them the good news that she had just received. She knows that she has to tell everyone. You know, when we have an experience with Jesus, are our first thoughts, I have to tell someone? Do we have an experience and then we go, who could I possibly tell right now about what has just happened to me? 
You know when you go to a good restaurant and the food is just so good, you just can't not talk about it? There's a restaurant that Riley and I like to go to and they have, in our opinion, the best chicken wings ever. They're so good. So good that when we take people there, we always order the wings for the table because we make people try them. Last Sunday after church, we actually had friends over from out of town, and so we were going out for lunch, and we were like, we gotta go to this place, they have the best wings, we're gonna make you try them. And within moments of us sitting down, Riley leaned over and he goes, I'm getting the wings. I was like, I know you're getting the wings, we always get the wings. But they're so good, and because we knew that they were so good, we wanted them to experience the goodness too. We should want the same thing when we experience the goodness of Jesus, for others to also experience it. So this woman is running into the town of people who hate her to tell them about what has just happened, and she says, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Now I want to take a second and recognize that this woman didn't just go running into the town and start demanding that people believe that this is Messiah because that is what she believed. She wasn't running in there to try and convince them of anything. She was simply offering an invitation for them to decide for themselves. She's offering a choice, saying, come and see for yourself. You know, evangelism isn't about convincing people, and I think a lot of times we get this idea that it is. You know, we have to debate people and convince them that what they believe is wrong and force them to believe what we believe. But evangelism is actually about inviting people to decide. The gospel message has always been about invitation. You were invited to make a decision for yourself. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks about how some people will believe and some people won't because it is a choice to follow Jesus. We see the invitation being extended by Jesus to the first disciples. In Matthew 4, 18 to 25, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus invited the disciples to follow him. You know, he didn't come in saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, you, you need to follow me right now. No, he, he came in and he said, hey, Follow me. I can, I can show you some stuff. He invited them in. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, extend this invitation to other people? You know, how do we actually go about sharing what it is that Jesus has done in our lives and invite people to experience it for themselves? This is often one of the hardest parts for people. You know, actually 
inviting people. We understand the importance and the necessity, and we know that we want to do it, but when it comes time, we freeze, we forget what to say, we get too nervous or too scared to do it. This word evangelism can feel scary and big and unattainable, and we can sometimes feel so unqualified to do this. So where do we start? Well, we've got three steps that we can kind of follow uh, to help us get to a place where we feel we can invite people to Jesus. So the first thing is this, involve them in your life. Like I said earlier, you probably, or I hope that you do, have someone or multiple people in your life that don't know Jesus yet. This could be a family member, a childhood friend. This could be a coworker that you have, your neighbor. This could be anybody in your life that doesn't know Jesus yet. And a great first step is to involve them in things in your life. Invite them over for dinner. Go for coffee together. Take the dogs for a walk. If you have kids, plan some play dates. You can bring a meal over to your neighbor. Essentially, what is happening here is I'm teaching you how to make friends. You're welcome. It's hard to make friends as an adult, I get it. So here's how you do it. We involve people in our lives. And when you begin to create a relationship, you're getting to know one another, starting to know what they like, what they don't like. Maybe you get to know a little bit about their family, where they're from, what they like to do for fun. And Jesus modeled this for us in the story of Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, 1-10, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus got involved in the life of Zacchaeus, one of the most cherished things in that time was to share a meal with someone. So when Jesus got involved in Zacchaeus' life by sharing a meal with him, it meant everything. Hospitality is a huge theme throughout the Bible. Countless times, believers are called to be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. That is in the Bible. Like those exact words. It's kind of hard to slip past that. So we involve people in our lives. The second thing is we invest in relationships. 
So this is where we get past the superficial friendships. This is where we dig in and we go deeper. This is where true friendships are formed. This is where we ignore the awkward and we get into the mess of life with each other. This is where we develop deep relationships. And I know that this is often a very hard part of this because investing in relationships is something that takes time and effort, but it is also some of the most rewarding and life-giving friendships that come out of this. Jesus invested in relationships. He walked through life with the 12 disciples. Day in and day out, he spent time with them. He had close friendships with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In John, in John 11, we see the story of Lazarus dying. Mary and Martha find out that Lazarus is sick and dying, and they get word out to Jesus that they need him to come and heal their brother. In verse 3, it says, The two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Jesus ended up staying where he was because he knew that God had a plan and it ended up being that Lazarus did die. And by the time that Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead and buried for four days. But Jesus went and spent time with Mary and Martha and they were upset with him. But he walked through the uncomfortable conversations about why he hadn't come sooner and that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He spent time investing in the relationship even though it was uncomfortable and they were mad at him. He cared about his friends. In verse 35, it says that Jesus wept for his friend who had died before raising him back to life. If you think about your very best friend, the person that you are closest to in life, the one that you call when anything happens, the one that you call when you need somebody to talk to, when you need someone to lean on. What is the difference between that relationship and the relationship that you have with a coworker? You have invested time, energy, vulnerability, laughter, tears, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, but we've been friends forever. We've been through so much together. I'm not saying that it's going to be a quick journey to becoming close. And sometimes you invest in relationships and they fade away. Sometimes walking in the mess with people can get really messy. But that can't stop us from investing. Because oftentimes what happens when we invest in relationships with people is that we get to know what's going on in their lives and vice versa. They start to ask us questions about our lives. And this is often where the permission that Pastor Ralph talked about last week comes into play. Your friend or your coworker asks, hey, you go to church, right? Or they go, hey, how, how do you deal with this? How do you pray? These are the moments where you are given permission to speak about what Jesus has done in your life. So we invest in relationships. And third, we invite them to Jesus. Come and see, could this be the Messiah? 
Once you've had the opportunity to share how Jesus has changed your life, once you've invested in relationships with those around you, once you've walked through the mess of life with someone, you then have the space to invite them in to experience Jesus for themselves. My guess is that you already have someone in your life that you have a deep relationship with. Maybe it's a parent, a close friend, a sibling, a spouse. Maybe you've done the work of involving them in your life and investing in the relationship and you know that the next thing to do is invite them to Jesus. Maybe you've already felt the nudging of the Holy Spirit to invite them to church on a Sunday morning, but you just can't seem to bring yourself to do it. From fear of rejection, fear of them thinking differently about you, fear of them being offended or upset or uncomfortable, from fear of it changing the dynamics of your relationship. First of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in feeling those fears. We've all been there, and if you haven't yet, you will be. It's just part of it. But this is the beauty of invitation. It's their decision. You are not there to convince them of anything. Lifeway Research did a study on the unchurched, and this is what they found. 55% of the people that they spoke with said that an invitation from a family member would be effective in getting them to visit a local church. And 51% said that an invitation from a family member or friend would be enough. This means that more than half of the people who don't go to church would say yes to an invitation from someone that they have a relationship with. This is why the first two steps that we talked about this morning are so important. More and more people are realizing that the most effective evangelism strategy is relationship. Maybe your friend or your coworker or family member has been wanting to try church. Maybe they want to see what it's all about and they've just been waiting for you to invite them. I can think of the times that I wasn't invited to hang out with my friends and I'm sure they wouldn't have been upset if I had just shown up, but I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to just invite myself. And it's the same idea. Sometimes people will come on their own, but most often people are waiting for an invitation. A little later on in John 4, we see what happens because of the woman's invitation. In verse 39 to 42, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Because this woman simply shared her story, shared her experience, and invited the people in the town to see for themselves, many believed. 
You know, some took longer than others to believe. Some believed right away when she told her story. I'm sure that there were some people that just never did believe. Some needed to see it with their own eyes and have their own experience with Jesus in order to believe. They had to spend time with Jesus to decide. But if this woman hadn't given this simple invitation of come and see, they would have never decided to follow Jesus. And the thing with invitation is that the worst thing that could happen is they say no. Sure, it can make it feel a little bit awkward in the moment. It may make you feel a little let down maybe, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just a no. But you gave them the choice and a seed is planted. Can you imagine what would happen if we took these steps and actually implemented them in our lives? What would happen if we actually involved people in our lives? Not just seeing them at work or when you're getting into the car or you're dropping your kids at school, but actually getting involved. Could you imagine the conversations that could take place around the dinner table as you invest in relationships with your coworkers outside of work? Could you imagine being given the opportunity to pray for your neighbor as they walk through the loss of a loved one because you chose to step into the mess with them? Could you imagine getting to share your experience with Jesus with your parents? Could you imagine the moment that you muster up the courage to say, why don't you come and see for yourself this Sunday? And they say yes. The lives that would be changed. The difference that it would make in our community. The people who would get the chance to experience the goodness of Jesus for themselves. Their salvation is not on us. That's Jesus' job. But it is our job to extend the invitation and invite them in to experience it for themselves. Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna close our eyes for a moment here and I wanna do two things to end off this morning. So with everyone's eyes closed. First, if you are here this morning and you have been trying to figure out if this Jesus is worth following, if you've been trying to decide if this is who you believe in, and this morning you've decided that you do want to accept Jesus as your savior and follow him, would you just put your hand up for me so I can see you? I'd love to pray for you this morning. It's good. Hmm. Amazing. Second, I'm going to get you all to think of that person in your life that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to invite to Jesus. But instead of just thinking about them, I want you to think about what step you are at with them at this moment. Maybe you need to become friends with them invite them for coffee or a play date and start at the beginning. Maybe you need to take that next step of investing in the relationship, 
ask some deeper questions, get into the mess of life with them. And maybe you're at the step already where you need to invite them to Jesus. Whichever step you are at with them, we're gonna pray this morning for boldness and courage and opportunity. As I pray, I'm gonna invite our prayer team up to the front. And if you are in need of prayer this morning, our team would love the chance to get to pray with you. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for every person who put their hand up this morning. Everyone this morning who has said, I have decided for myself that I would like to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your power is working. Jesus, that lives are being changed. Lord, we pray that that would continue to happen. Jesus, as we put these three steps into our lives, Lord, as we begin to go deeper with people in our lives and invite people in, Jesus, I pray that you would make space Lord, that you would provide opportunity for us to be able to speak into people's lives, Lord. Would you give us boldness? Jesus, would you give us courage to actually step out, Lord, to actually do the hard work of investing in relationships, Jesus, and walking through the mess of life with people? Lord, would you give us courage and the words to say, to friends and family who don't know you that come and see, Lord, would, would we be people who are excited about what you are doing in our lives that we just can't help but to tell others. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this call to invitation, Lord. Would we take it seriously? Lord, would we wake up every morning and think of ways that we can invite others in, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you are doing, Jesus. We thank you for lives that are being changed and we just are so excited at looking forward to what you will continue to do, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. In your name, amen.